Today's shiur begins at the Mishnah that you'll find a little more than halfway down Daf Samach Gimel, 14 lines from the top. Koinim Yayin She'eni Toyem Lishana. Person uh, vows not to benefit from wine, not to uh, consume wine for a year. This Abra if the year is lengthened by a month, which is characteristic of an Ibr Shana, Shnasa Ibor, where an extra Ador is added to the calendar. Osirba Uva Ibura. The term year that he took upon himself will include that added month. Ad Rosh Ador, if a person vowed not to consume something until the beginning of Ador. Ad Rosh Ador Horishon. The result would be that in a case of a leap year, he will be prohibited only until the beginning of the first of the two Adors. If he says Ad Sof Ador, Ad Sof Ador, and now the next word is a point of Machlokis, which Girsa you use. The Girsa that you see in the text is until the end of the first Ador. However, on the side, there is a Girsa that says until the end of the second Ador. Alma Stama de Ador de Komar. You can see from this Mishnah that when a person uses the term Ador without qualifying, Rishon who? That would indicate that he's dealing with the first Ador. Well, if that's the case, Lemo Masnisin Rebbe Yehudahi. Should we say then that our Mishnah is in accordance with only Rebbe Yehuda? Uh, I emphasize only Rebbe Yehuda because as we go on in the Gemara, we will see that there is another Shita that appears. And at this point, it sounds though that our Mishnah is in accordance only with Rebbe Yehuda. The Sanya, we have a Tanaic source, and by the way, note that we have a long question. The source says, Ado Horishon, Kosev Ado Horishon, when a person is uh, preparing a document and he wants to uh, make reference to uh, uh, the first of two Adors, so he has to indicate this is Ado Horishon. However, if in the document the reference is going to be made to the second Ador, Ador Sheni Kosev Ador Stam, Divrei Rebbe Meir. Then all you would need to do is write Ador without qualifying which one, and it would be understood that it's a reference to the second Ador, which is uh, seemingly not like our Mishnah. Rebbe Yehuda Oimer, Ador Horishon Kosev Stam. When you want to make reference to the first Ador, you write Ador in an unqualified fashion. Ador Sheni, if your if your point is to make reference in the document to the second Ador. Kosev Tinyan. You should write the second. Tinyan is second in Aramaic. So, the Gemara's question then is, is our Mishnah to be understood as just according to Rabbi Huda, who said the Ador Stam, the unqualified Ador, is Ador Rishon? You can explain our Mishnah along the lines of Rabbi Meir as well. So now the issue is, we have to make up our minds. An unqualified Ador, is it the first or the second? So it all depends. Ha di yoda de ma'abro shosa, ha de lo yoda. If the person knows that the year has been extended, so then 
that is Rebbe Meir in the Brisa that an unqualified Ador we'll call it the, just the, the um, objective citation Ador that would be a reference to the second Ador once again, that's when you're dealing with someone that is aware or it is, that it is known that the year has been extended the, our Mishnah is referring to a situation where it's not known that the year is going to be extended the issue of under what circumstances and how and etc. a year was extended that's a separate discussion that's found in Maseches Sanhedrin but for our purposes the distinction is clear and therefore our mission is dealing with a case where the where it's not known that there is going to be a second Ador and hence the reference to Ador would be then the first Ador in the event that the year is eventually extended. We continue at the top of Omid Beis, Vehag Tanya, and here you'll see a support in a Tanaic source to uh, what we're answering now. Note, though, that it takes a few lines to develop this point. That we call this a long point, a Nekuda Aruka, long Nekuda, long point. Vehag Tanya, the support source says, Ad Rosh Chodesh Ador, Ad Rosh Chodesh Ador Harishon. Uh, if a person uh, says uh, or he writes that uh, something is going to take place or something is going to be um, effective until Ador without qualifying it it's until the first Ador Im Hoysa Shona Mu'uberes Ad Rosh Chodesh Ador Hasheni if it's an extended year then it's until the it's the beginning of the second Ador the Gemara has to now develop the point are we to understand the Reisha then in contrast to the Seifa is not a Shonu Muberis when you read the Seifa the second line of this source it says and if it's a leap year then such and such such and such and such does that mean that up till that point it was not a leap year? In other words, up until that point in this in this Tanaic source, when you read the Reisha, it was not a leap year. That's not true, though. So let's read this in the text. Are we to then infer that the Reisha was not talking about a, a leap year? That's not true. The first line, the Reisha of the source says that if a person says, until Adar... Until Rosh Chodesh Adar, it's until the Rosh Chodesh of the first Adar. When you say first, you know that there is a second. So, then, in this very source, are we seeing a contradiction? In, this, in the Reisha, it's also talking about an, an extended year, a Muberis. So how in the ratio, if a person says Ad Rosh Chodesh Adar, it's the first Rosh Chodesh, and in, and, and in, a, in, a, in the Seifa, an extended year, it says when you say until Rosh Chodesh, until the beginning of the second Rosh Chodesh. So the uh, so what's the resolution? Shema Mino, you see from here, Ha de Pshito Le de The Seifa is talking about a situation where it's clear that it's a it's a leap year, and for in a situation where it's clear that it's a leap year, so when you say Ad Rosh Chodesh Ador, it's until the beginning of the second Ador. The Reisha is talking about a situation where he doesn't know that it's a leap year. 
And the, at the end of the day, it's going to be a leap year. However, he doesn't know about that. And therefore, when he says, Ad Rosh Chodesh Adar, it will be until the beginning of the first Adar, the Mishnah. Note that this is a one of the rare cases in the Shas that you have a Mishnah with no Gemara commentary on it. Uh, um, very simply because the uh, most of the points that you see in this Mishnah were already dealt with in other Gemaras. The markings, though, are plenty, plentiful here. You'll notice on the side we have a Mivneh, and triangles appear. Hadgoshas Kinam, Bava Mishnah. The word Kinam, uh, which is of course the in, uh, word indicating one's vow will appear with slightly different triangles for the separate sections of the Mishnah. But they all highlight the word Koinam. And we have another marking, a double underline, which highlights the expression Ad Shiyahei. That will be in the first section of the Mishnah where a vow is taken with a... Again, it's a self-imposed restriction until something and we'll see different examples and those are highlighted with the double underline um, when we get to section the next section of Mishnah we'll have more markings to explain in the meantime the Mishnah begins person vows not to uh, consume wine Pesach he is restricted through this vow up till uh, the, the, the the night ushering in Pesach. We call the Seder night. He did not intend through this vow to restrict himself till a point uh, where people are uh, accustomed to drinking wine. In other words, if we look in Rashi, he certainly wanted to drink the four cups of wine that people drink Pesach night. That's when everyone drinks wine. So when he was imposing a, uh, a the self-imposed wine restriction, it would be only up till, but not including, up till the point of that everyone else will be drinking. And as Rashi says, he wants to, he certainly would want to be along with everybody else in their wine drinking. So his restriction is only up till that point, but not including. The Mishnah continues, He restricts himself from eating meat uh, until the fast. He is restricting himself only until the, up till, but not including, up till the night which is followed by a daytime fast. What's characteristic of the night that it precedes a daytime fast? At that, the night time is a time everyone eats meat in anticipation of the fast. He didn't intend to restrict restrict himself, except up till the point that people eat meat. 
So his restriction is up till that point, but not including it. Rabbi Yossi Benoi Oimer, Koinim Shum Shani Toyen. This is the Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Huda, who opened the Mishnah. He says that if a person imposed upon himself a restriction in consuming shum, shum is often translated as garlic. So this vow is, he says, let me read the whole text, uh, His vow will be um, binding through Friday. But Friday night... The vow no longer continues. It was a custom to eat garlic Friday night. And he, in taking this vow, did not preclude himself, didn't intend to preclude himself from the uh, consumption of shum when everyone else, in fact, consumes it. As you can see, we have a slash mark indicating a new series of konom vows. On the uh, side, we have a house marking, which highlights in opposite directions, uh, with the point facing up, she'ani nehenelach, and the opposite direction is she'ato neheneli. So that the first vow is a person saying that uh, I will not benefit from you, uh, uh, unless such and such and such, and the second vow is uh, he vows that that the fellow, the party, the other party shall not benefit from him. The Mishnah. A person swears, A, swears not to benefit from B, unless B comes and takes from A uh, a measure, kur is a measure of chitim of wheat, and two barrels of wine. So that's the text of the vow. The subject of the vow, the person, Mr. B, who was restricted in benefiting from A through this vow, can undo the vow, can absolve himself from the vow, even without going to a Talmud Chochem, without going to a Torah sage, which was, was is the ordinary uh, track for having vows absolved. So how, how is it so that in this case he can have the vow absolved even without the Chochem's intervention? The Yomar Lo, the Mudar, the subject of the vow, can say, Is it not so that, that your entire intention was simply to honor me? Zehu Kivodi, my ultimate honor is that I, I won't take from you. You wanted to honor me, and therefore you imposed this vow. This is, the, this is my honor. My honor is not to take from you. Uh, Mr. A says, in this case, to Mr. B, you, in contrast to the case we just had, which was, which was, I 
will Mr. A uh, vows not to benefit from Mr. B. I will no longer benefit from you unless, as we saw there, unless you take from me the items mentioned. Here, in this case, I, I vow that you, Mr. B, cannot benefit from me unless you give to my son this measure of wheat and two barrels of wine. Rabbi Meir Omer, Rabbi Meir says this vow is binding until the conditions are met. So that according to Rabbi Meir, Mr. B will not be able to benefit from A unless Mr. B gives what he was requested. This case as well, like the first case, can uh, the vow can be absolved without a chacham. Viomalo, the madir, the one who imposed the vow, Mr. A, who prevented Mr. B from receiving Hanor, can now say, Hare ani ki'ilu niskabalti. I want you to know, it's, it right now is to me as if I received what I requested. Uh, the Gemara, um, much earlier in the Masechta, had dealt with these two cases, and added the explanation in the first case where uh, A says to Mr. B I am not taking any more from you unless you uh, unless you come and take from me certain items the explanation given was that up till this point uh, B was showering on A all kinds of good things made Mr. A uncomfortable to always be a receiver. So Mr. A put his foot down and says, I'm not, I vow I'm not going to, I'm not taking from you anymore unless you take something from me. In the second case, where A told B, I don't want you benefiting from me anymore unless you give me these things, give my son these things, there, A was always showering benefits on B. It was very one-sided, and he felt that it was uh, unjustified that he, Mr. A, is always granting benefits to Mr. B. So he wanted to see Mr. B do something in return. And hence, he said what he did, and the Chachamim said that there you could reach a point at which Mr. A can say, okay, uh, it's, it's as if I received what I wanted in the first place. The Mishnah continues with a new, uh, a new marking, and we've highlighted the expression, Hoyu Misarvin. Misarvin means they were pressuring. Hoyu Misarvin boy They were pressuring a certain man to marry his niece, which is allowed, according to Jewish law, a person is allowed and some will explain it's even a mitzvah for a man to marry his sister's daughter, a niece, through your sister. So they were pressuring him into doing that. The Omar and he declared, He issued a vow uh, that uh, she shall not benefit from me forever. A person who had vowed 
uh, after uh, um, someone who was was uh, going to divorce his wife, and he issued this vow that his wife shall not benefit from him forever. Hare elu mutoros lehonos lo. They are in fact allowed to benefit from him other kinds of hanor. His intention with the vow was only with regard to uh, issue, the issue of marital status. And as Rashi puts it succinctly, His vow was that she should not benefit from him through, we'll say, matters that are related to intimacy. Therefore, as the Mishnah says, other benefits um, are are still allowed, even though the uh, the language didn't actually reflect that. But looking at the circumstances, uh, we come to this conclusion. A person was pressuring his friend to come and eat by him. Omar kinim nichnas. And the fellow says he uh, he vows not to enter the house. Tipas shani loch. A drop of of uh, of cold water I won't drink from you. The result of that vow is muter likonis lebeisa he in fact is allowed to enter the uh, inviter's house and drink a little uh, cup of water. His intention was simply that to vow not to have a big meal with a lot of drink. The Rashi says toward the end, the person who was putting the pressure on was intention. His intention was I'm, I want you to come, and I'm pressuring you to come for a big meal with a lot of drink. The Chiyomar said, when the, uh, when the uh, potential guest responded with the vow, his vow was only a response to the pressure that was being put on him. The pressure that was being put on him was with regard to a large uh, meal. The Vow response was, I'm not going to have the large meal. But as far as uh, looking at the vow in literal terms, so the Mishnah's Chiddush is, we don't look at it that, at that, that way. And therefore, the Mudar, the Ashlamadir in this case, is allowed to uh, go into the house and have a little cup of water. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.